Welcome to Breaking the Mould, a podcast from Action Funder. Here at Action Funder, we work with businesses and we work with nonprofit leaders. We enable the two to work together to create measurable change. In this podcast, we're going to introduce you to some of the change makers we work with, we know, and we admire. They'll be coming to us from boardrooms and community centres across the country. Together, we'll tackle questions about sustainability, about working in partnership, and about achieving real impact. Get ready to hear about what challenges and drives these people who are dedicated to taking action on the issues that really matter. Hi, I'm Mark Shearer, and I'll be your host again for this episode of Breaking the Mould. Today, I'm meeting with the brilliant Rich Walker, who's the executive chairman of Iceland, one of the leading retailers in the UK. In addition to his work at Iceland, Rich is wearing many hats. He's been an advocate and leading figure for sustainable businesses, a published author, and also a former chair of Surfers Against Sewage, to quote just a few things. In this episode, we talk about his mission to democratise sustainability, and in particular, we touch on three things. The first is his trailblazing policies that Iceland has put in place to remove palm oils and plastic from their products. Certainly not an easy task, but something that has been really instrumental. Secondly, the role of businesses in raising awareness about key global issues. And thirdly, how businesses can really use their influence to advocate for nationwide policy changes that benefit their communities, even if that means breaking the rules just a little bit. Let's dive in. Rich, thank you very much for coming on Breaking the Mold podcast. Uh, great to see you. I should, we should say to the, the viewers that we do know each other um, beyond work. Very so, well. Uh, yes. Very well. So we've known each other for about 20 years, I think it's coming up to now. I think um, so. And I've watched your career flourish and you take on all the broadcasters and all the interviewers. So it's wonderful to now be sat here interviewing you. So I will... Um, this could will be my, my greatest best test. Maybe. I think so. I yeah. think so. I think I've got enough knowledge to take you down. I'm like, uh, I mean, Piers Morgan couldn't do it, so maybe I can. No, exactly. So look, uh, first of all, I just want to talk a bit about business for good. What's your vision for a better world? What's your personal vision? And I suppose, and why Why do you want to go off that? What motivates you to achieve that vision? Crikey. Um, That's a big one to start with. It is a big one to start with. I, I suppose... Uh, I've always been interested in kind of nature and the outdoors. I was lucky enough to grow up in the countryside and, you know, I've, I'm personally a, a big climber and a, a surfer and, you know, I've always kind of engaged with um, the outdoors and the natural world like that. Um, but I think having kids has really kind of propelled that desire to try and protect what we have because I see them engaged with the nature on our doorstep, be that like bugs or butterflies or bees and you know i want um, i've got a very kind of strong passion to try and protect the things that they love um and obviously our world is changing very quickly and that's now unequivocal and widely agreed and and i don't want them to be able to only see orangutans in chester zoo um you know and i don't want them to to grow up in a, a sterile very nature depleted environment so you know that's why i'm motivated to to try and help with the climate crisis the nature crisis and try and use the platform i've already got to to do some good along the way yeah nice and um i mean do you see the nature climate crisis as the biggest crisis humans are facing at the moment i mean i know you, you you've never shirked a challenge mm. so um is it a sense of right this is what humans need now and so this is what i'm going to, to try and improve 
Yeah, I think it, I mean, it's undoubtedly an existential crisis. The problem is it's hard to see it until it's right on top of us. When you look what's going on around the world, there, there are so many challenges. And I think now it's unavoidable to, to have to confront that. Whereas maybe 10 years ago, it, it was, wasn't kind of top of the list of worries. I mean, obviously there's, there's more pressing concerns and, and humans by their very nature are quite myopic and will deal with whatever the biggest crisis uh, on top of them is, be that COVID or cost of living crisis. But undoubtedly kind of the big existential crisis that we face is, is um, the decline of our, our natural world and obviously um, global warming. Yeah, and um, with you, you had an amazing trip to Borneo, and I think that really, when talking about first-hand experiences, was that quite a turning point for you as well? Yeah, Things I think going on out it, there. Yeah, it's really important to witness and uh, to experience for yourself, as opposed to just be sort of a commentator on the on the sidelines. And that was particularly important for uh, palm oil because it's a very nuanced issue. There's two sides to the debate. Um, and I really wanted to, needed to go and understand it for myself. So it was important to go to West Kalimantan with experts, meet local communities, um, go to the primary rainforest. And, you know, we visited uh, orangutan sanctuaries and kind of heard stories of habitat loss and met local indigenous communities. So, you know, we really got the kind of full spectrum of, of views and problems there. And I think it was very important, particularly as, a food retailer that was complicit in you know a lot of the issues that have been caused out there so yeah to 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 actually get out of the boardroom and into the real world is is really important and that's the case for anything you know whether it's visiting food banks or going out and seeing our shops or meeting politicians it's, it's just very important to get out there yeah, hundred um, percent, and uh, we'll come on to the politics in a minute. But um, yeah. look, so so you've obviously used the platform at Iceland to to make a better world and and to help the natural world and raise awareness. Can FMCG ever be sustainable? And if so, how? I mean, obviously, palm oil, plastics, etc. But what mm. what's your next big challenge? I suppose. And uh, but it'd be really interesting to hear about whether you think we can create that world that you would like to see more of. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the reality, and Yvonne Schoenard has said this, the founder of Patagonia, big kind of business hero of mine, but the reality is there's no business in existence that puts more back into the natural world than it takes from it. That just can't, you know, it's not possible. So um, there is really no such thing as a sustainable business. Um, that's the reality. And I think we've got to be very careful sort of banding the word around and, you know, particularly gets my back up when, you just sort of prefix any word with sustainable and then think it's okay, like sustainable flying or whatever. Like there isn't, there isn't a sustainable FMCG. There isn't really sustainable business, but what you can do is understand your impacts, seek to minimize them wherever possible, and then share what you learn with others. Um, there are some amazing businesses out there. You know, there's a search engine, for example, I found the other day called Ecosia, which uses all of its advertising money to plant trees. I mean, that is, you know, there are some exceptional kind of cutting edge businesses there that are probably on the cusp of putting more back into nature than they take from it. But, you know, when in the FMCG world, which is the original question, you know, I, I really don't think it's, it's possible. But what we can do, if you take a business like Iceland, you know, we've got 5 million customers a week. Um, we, and some of them are really hard up and on a very tight budget. So they can't afford to spend more for sustainable lifestyle choices, you know, like 
you, you, you're charged more for sustainable products at Waitrose or, or Marks and Spencers. I mean, our, our customers can't afford to do that. But what we're trying to do on palm oil, on plastics, on reducing food waste, on um, a really aggressive program to reduce carbon, all of these things, I say, is democratizing env environmentalism because we're making it relevant and relatable to our customers who are real people on a budget. And that's quite exciting because if we can make it apply to them, then it's genuinely scalable. Yeah, and uh, interesting you say that because we've obviously worked with you in the past on increasing access to nature for the most deprived areas of the UK. And I think there was a shocking stat that children in the areas of deprivation have nine times less access to green space than those in the highest, um, in the most uh, wealthy areas. Yeah. Um, so, um, so look, moving on to a family business, um, you obviously work very closely with your dad. Uh, we've seen that you're very, you, you're very close. Well, lots of um, lots of posts, updates, et cetera. First of all, it's a huge responsibility, right? That mm -hmm. you're having to take on something um, that, that has been started with the family. But but secondly, how, how does that uh, enable you to do things um, at Iceland and create campaigns and so on, that maybe if you're working in a more, you know, um, in a FTSE 100 or whatever, you'd struggle to do? Do you find it easier or harder being a family business to make some of these interventions? Yeah, I think it is easier because we're answerable only to ourselves. You know, we're the shareholders. Um, our culture, just as a business, is quite irreverent. And, you know, we try and zig one other zag. And I think that's that's been a big reason for why we've stayed in business and indeed grown our market share over 50 plus years in what is an exceptionally competitive industry. And we're up against big Goliaths, you know, in terms of our competitors. Um, but to sort of think long-term as a family business is probably our, our biggest benefit. So we were a public company for quite some time. And dad talks about this constant treadmill of having to go down every quarter to please teenage scribblers, as he called them, you know, 20 somethings just out of university who are the analysts on, on the ice and stock. And, you know, unless you're constantly increasing your profits quarter by quarter, um, you, you've got a problem. And I think that engenders short-term thinking, whereas a lot of the decisions we take in terms of removing plastic, investing in palm oil, et cetera, that's, um, that's quite long-term in our thinking, but we have a phrase that we're long-term greedy. So, you know, we don't take the easy options for the, for the now, um, we take the harder options for the long-term, but hopefully that will pay back. And, you know, everything that we're doing, particularly with the cost of living crisis at the moment, you know, we started a, a food club giving out interest-free loans so customers could afford to spend money uh, on food in our shops rather than go to food banks. Uh, we give 10% off to over 60s every Tuesday. We've frozen the, excuse the pun, um, the price of all of our one pound lines. So we're doing a lot of different things and um, we think that customers will stick with us in the good times because they'll remember how we treated them through this cost of living crisis. Yeah, great. And um and look, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, but you, you lost your mum recently. And mm. uh, how, how much of a part did she have to play in what you do in your decision making and so on? Because I know that um had a very close relationship. And sometimes it's your wives, your mothers, your wider family that um, provide that that motivation and so on. So yeah, I ask you about her, her influence on you in, in a lot of this. Yeah, no, of course. Um, I mean, well, it's her fault the government of Iceland are suing us for breach of copyright, which is <laughs> genuinely happening, uh, although we'll win. 
um, she thought of the name Iceland. Um, her dad wanted to call it Penguin, which would have been a disaster. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose, you know, her uh, getting diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's was was a big kind of turning point for me because it, it sort of showed me that life is very short and my time, you know, on this planet might be limited. Um, but also to try and learn and contribute to this amazing legacy that she started with my dad. You know, dad always gets referenced, but actually it was mum and dad who started that first shop in Osrestry in 1970. And like I said, mum thought of the name and she worked on the till. Um, and I wanted to kind of understand that more. So it was a big, big reason for why I moved to Iceland um, and uh, moved on from from property, which is originally what I was doing. So, um, yeah, it, it was a big motivator. And, you know, I do think about her a lot. Yeah. It's, well, it's um, I'm sure she'll be super proud. I mean, I, I when I see you on Question Time getting drilled by various <laughs> politicians or or presenters in holding your own, even I'm as a I'm incredibly proud that I know you. So um, no, moving on a bit. Um, so community, obviously, an action funder. We're all about community. Uh, we've worked with you in the past. Um, and uh, you know you run sustain you run sustainability and community building at Iceland, uh, and you, you do some really interesting stuff. So obviously rehabilitation of um, ex inmates. Uh, yeah. We work with you on backyard nature. You know you you you've made various announcements, things like formula milk, democratizing sustainability, and so on. What's what are you most proud of? It sat right here, right now on 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 a gloomy November morning. Uh, what do you sit back and think? I'm so I'm really proud I did that. Um, well, oh god, that is a good god, question. I'm giving, I'm giving you all these. Sorry, I shouldn't be. Yeah, you are. I'm giving yeah. you all these quite direct questions. You see, I should be arguing with you like Piers Morgan, but actually, yeah. I, I, I know well, the formula, best way to formula is an interesting one, right? So, you know that, and it's not obviously it's not me. You know, it's like all the team around me and the people who are working hard putting these campaigns together and you know, spotting the opportunities. But um, formula is is interesting because you're not allowed to price fight on uh, formula milk stage one because um, we're supposed to encourage breastfeeding and breast is best. But um, it is quite archaic, these laws, particularly in the context of the price of uh, formula milk going through the roof. It's now 15, 16 quid for a week's supply of formula. Um, so it's you know, many mums are skipping feeds or or stealing it, you know, because there's in such desperate times. So we dropped the price and told everyone about it, which is illegal. And now we're lobbying the government to try and get rid of this law, which seems ridiculous because I can I can promote the price of vape products or chocolate or beer, but not of um, stage one formula, which just seems bonkers. Um, and actually, I, I learned a week or two ago that Wes Streeting said that, you know, if and when he becomes health secretary, that is a law that they'll seek to change. And I think that's probably kind of direct result of some of our campaigning and, and awareness raising of, of the issue. So, you know, that's that's good. I mean, at the other end of the scale, I think palm oil was a, a big thing for me. It was something I was very passionate about. Like I said, I went to the effort of going and witnessing it all. But Google phrases of Google searches of the phrase palm oil went up 10,000 percent after our um campaign and and we did it really to raise awareness and i think that's very much what we did yeah well it was it was brilliant and obviously around christmas and the 
the advert and so on. It was it was great. It was banned the from TV because it was deemed too political. So we just put it out on social media and then everyone started retweeting it. It's now been watched over 90 million times and it's the most watched Christmas TV ad in UK history. So uh, that sort of rewrote the rules of paid advertising, I think. Yeah. So talking about being an irreverent brand earlier, um, you, I can see it coming through there. <laughs> and... Um, have you ever spent a night in prison with any of this at these activities that you've done or not? Have you, you never been arrested yet for it? <laughs> um, no, although I'm told if I go back to Indonesia, I will be. So um, I should maybe try that because I'm a big surfer and I'm desperate to go there to Bali. But um, yeah, maybe, maybe that's not such a good idea. <laughs> we'll have to go in disguise or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, Rich, what, what's a campaign that hasn't gone right? Because obviously you have to be quite mm. daring to, to win and get the message out there. And yeah. um and sometimes they don't go right. So um... I think transparency is just really key. So take palm oil. Yes, it was very, um, it, you know, it was very successful. But actually, there was an interesting kind of postscript that happened in terms of um, we we gave ourselves a self-imposed deadline that any product with Iceland on the label wouldn't have palm oil in. And by the end of 2018, and we got to um december and it was very clear that we had about 16 products out of about 450 where we couldn't meet that deadline because our suppliers weren't ready so we took iceland off the label and i didn't really think anything of it but then i think i was away with you actually in in the january on a ski trip uh, and i i got this absolute gotcha moment from the bbc with the before and after product of you know iceland on on the packaging and then iceland not on the packaging and their, their theme was rather than remove palm oil, they just removed Iceland from the label. Now, obviously, it was very unfair because they didn't focus on the 97% of products where we'd worked tirelessly for two years to take out palm oil. They just focused on those 16 products. And we only gave our suppliers an extra 16 weeks. And by April 2019, indeed, they got rid of the palm oil and were able to put Iceland back on the label. But it, it was a real media gotcha moment. And I, I learned a lot then about how the media operates. I was also really pissed off because I'd, you know, teed myself up there for for um, for it. And there was an important lesson as well, just about transparency. If I'd have written a, a blog just before we boarded the flights of Chamonix or wherever we were going um, on the 1st of April and said, uh, 1st of January and said, you know what, this has happened and this is why, and here's what we're doing about it. It wouldn't have been an issue. So I've tried to be as openly kind of transparent and clear and talk about the journey on everything we're doing, particularly on plastics, actually. Um, we said we'd be plastic free by the end of 2023. That was in 2018. We gave ourselves five years. That hasn't quite happened, but we've worked very hard and we've reduced our plastic tonnage by over 50% now. So a huge reduction. And we won't, the destination hasn't changed, but I've been very clear for a lot of reasons, COVID, slower technological advancements, et cetera. You know, we're, we're, it's just going to take us longer to get to that destination. But, but having these targets is so important because it really sets that, um, you know, the mindset. Yeah. It, it gives people the ability to try to create something within a period of time that they wouldn't otherwise do. So, and setting ambitious targets as well, it creates that momentum. So yeah, you, um, create, you create that North Star, I think is really important. Yeah. And uh, so, but no, look, I, I fully respect your transparency on this. And I think you need to learn. I mean, look, I know you didn't go to media school. You you know, you and I were in property originally. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously you learn 
on it, but um, fessing up and being transparent is great. Now, look, I'm going to whiz us through some stuff. So, um, po politics. What first of all, what's it like being a personality in the kind of business for good arena? Do you? I, I think you enjoy it because you're you're very good at it. But you know, people look to you as for leadership, and you know, what's Richard Walker doing now? Do you do you enjoy that, or does I do. it feel quite burdensome? I do. I think I wrote a book as well called The Green Grocer. And when that came out in 2021, you know, I was obviously keen to sell books. It was all everything goes to charity. But um, I wanted to sort of talk about it more. So I, I did a, a lot of this sort of thing, but a lot of keynotes. But I found that I was talking more about doing it rather than actually doing it. So I've sort of consciously taken a step back in terms of, you know, that that circuit, if you like, because at the end of the day, the bread and butter is our, our 1000 shops and our colleagues and our business. And it's really important never to forget that. I think I can get distracted by all the different opportunities and, um, you know, things that, that are available and open. And you, you're much better doing less things brilliantly than a lot of things averagely. Um, so, yeah, but I do enjoy it. And I, I enjoy things like question time. And, you know, I think I've been on I've been on that seven times now, actually, they said I was on recently. So I enjoy kind of speaking out on issues that I think our customers care about, which maybe they they don't have the opportunity to do so. And, and do you have other retail leaders speaking to you saying, you know, you are a personality. We'd, we'd like to join or help or work with you on these campaigns or we think this is an yeah. important issue and so on. So you, you do collude a bit as retailers, hopefully. Yeah, a bit. I mean, we did through COVID a lot. There was weekly calls and that was very interesting in terms of the camaraderie and the sharing of ideas and information, which for the greater good, you know, to, to help feed the nation. Um but, but the default setting for UK food retailers is to wake up and want to kill each other every morning. So, you know, make no bones where it, it's an exceptionally competitive environment. But what is nice on some issues, you know, like um, like the COVID crisis, but also plastics, for example, there is a sort of greater good information sharing, which I think can only be a good thing. Yeah, great, which I think you've really spearheaded as well. Um, so, um, and so I've got to ask this, uh, so obviously you renounced your Conservative Party membership recently. Uh, is that politics now put in a box and left for later and, or are you looking to remain in politics, but join another party or what was the thinking? It is, I've, it was a big story. I mean, it was most, most read, I think on BBC and they played a clip of me on Laura Coonsberg to the prime minister and got them to respond. I mean, it was quite a big deal and I, I basically said that the party has lost its way, you know, with the needs of of business and everyday people. And um, it came after a very long process of trying to get selected as a candidate for a seat. Now, many people probably quite rightly say, well, that was just sour grapes. But actually, um, what I learned through the process is that they don't want people like me with genuine kind of experience and uh, opinions of my own. And I was told to pipe down on things like the sewage scandal. They really didn't like the fact I was chairman of Surface Against Sewage. Um, I was told by a very senior person within the party to stop talking about food banks. Um, and these are all things that I really care about and I wasn't prepared to do. So I, I kind of fell out of love with it before I even got started. But it is quite sad because I had this itch and I think I still have an itch that I want to contribute and do good. Now, I can do that through my business. And I think for now, that's very much kind of what I'm focusing on. Um, but I'm sure it's not the last chapter. I think I've probably pretty much burnt all bridges now with the Tories. 
Um, but there are other ways to help and contribute. I don't want to be an MP anymore. You know, I've I've sort of chased that dream and it, and it and unfortunately it hasn't happened. And it is it is really sad, actually, um, that our system is kind of set up to discourage and exclude um, people with experience uh, from the outside. Uh, but that's just how it is. So um, we'll, we'll see where we get to. I mean, I, there's an awful lot of problems in our society, uh, problems with our environment, and I'm still very keen to contribute. I'm just not sure how that will be. Yep. Yeah. So taking a breather for the moment. Well, don't don't totally write it off. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, I know that you, you've you've shown a lot of leadership and change within our country, and uh, and I know a lot of people respect you for it. Um, so. I suppose it's about finding the right medium to do that. Um, now look, let me let me move you on to COP, um, and then we'll wrap up after that. So um, obviously, it's taking place in UAE, which raises a few eyebrows. Um, and uh, you know, we we often see this uh, where um, a big event such as COP is being hosted in a, a big oil-producing nation. I mean, do you think that that's a problem, or do you think that? actually look that's the way the world works everyone's got to crack on with it yeah i think the latter i mean you know i i my wife winces when i'm called an environmentalist because i mean i try to be but i've got a large personal carbon footprint that i try and minimize as much as possible but obviously our business is a high volume mass market discount food retailer with many contradictions and we are far from a sustainable business but we're trying to do good and I think it's the same for nation states. You know, yes, there's there's a lot of contradictions in, in an oil nation uh, hosting COP, but that shouldn't stop them from trying to do better, um, as long as it's not greenwashing. And I think that's the same in business and personally as it is politically. Um, and I think it's really important that we start to see genuine kind of, not, not just warm words, but genuine intent and action now. Um, so that's what I'd like to see out of COP. But I don't think... I've got a problem in and of itself that it's hosted in the UAE. No. And so do you, are you hopeful stuff will be achieved or, I mean, if, if COP, if COP made an announcement after the conference saying, right, we're going to do X, what would that be in your mind? What would you want them to try yeah. to achieve? Do you know, it's a, it's a great question. And I, I think I'm as guilty as others as being a bit distracted with the day-to-day -day cost of living crisis as a retailer. We've just got Christmas around the corner and actually, I haven't spent too much time thinking about that, which is, a really, you know, as I said, it's our biggest existential issue. But what 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 is the next step? What do we want to see? But now we've got legally binding targets. What we need to do now is make steps to, to do things that are concurrent with decarbonizing. That's what we have so to do. So enforcing those legal targets, really. Yeah. Yeah. How it's enforced and the just transition and everything else in between. You know, that's the tough bit. And we all know why we need to change because the world is burning and nature's declining. We all know what we need to do, which is um, uh, decarbonize and restore nature. But how you do that is the real tough bit. And that involves compromises and tough choices and trade-offs and is full of gray area and ambiguity. But, you know, that's 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 what we've got to see now, um, as opposed to just inevitable emissions um, going up and up and up. Last last thing, we always have a takeaway uh, to help listeners start to make more of a positive impact in their workplace. So um, the, the Rich Walker takeaway, I'll, I'll speak for another 10 seconds so you can think of something really good. But, uh, you know, but I think um, this is something that's very practical. Um, and uh, anyone listening would be like, OK, um, 
that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to give that a crack. So, uh, so the one thing that listeners should be thinking about or the takeaway from having heard this podcast. I love that. I'll, I'll give you two, which came from, um, I suppose, my business hero, my dad, um, because he is an extraordinary guy. He's created this amazing business. He's done some incredible things along the way as well. Um, and he gave me two bits of advice. The first one is testament to his belligerence and um, tenacity. And it's very simply, never, ever, 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 ever give up. Um, <laughs> and it's easier said than done. And the second one was when I decided to leave property and join Iceland, he gave me some warm advice from a father to a son. He, he said in his Yorkshire action, whatever you do, don't fuck it up. <laughs> Sorry, it's very I don't, good. Are we allowed to swear on this pod? I don't yeah, know. I'm sure. I'm sure you can. We'll check with uh, with the team here. But uh, but very good advice. And I I take that first. Never give up. I mean, with Action Thunder, we're um, you know, we've been going for a couple of years, and um, there are so many hurdles at times. You'd be like, oh, this is tough. We've la- launched um over 150 funds, funded over 800 community projects across the UK, um, benefiting around about half a million people. Um, and we've had about uh, 1,700 updates on our site so far from those funded projects. So, um, you know, it's just the start. great. I mean, that is genuine kind of local level improvement and tangible kind of results. And I, I think that probably in terms of fulfillment makes you feel as good as anything, you know. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Breaking the Mold. This was actually the last episode of our first season. You can hear from all of our guests, brilliant leaders from the private and charitable sectors creating change on your favourite podcast platform. For more content on community engagement, go to the Action Funder website at www.actionfunder.org. Here you'll be able to search from grassroots non-profits near you and learn more about how to make an impact for people, planet and profit.